Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21. Thank you for joining us. We're still mining the riches in 2 Peter chapter 1. Today we're looking at the five words that changed the world. Those five words are found in verse 17, but we're going to put that in context, starting with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming, that is the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word made more sure you would do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. In our last episode, I gave you hint number one as far as what was the significance of the transfiguration. And we looked at the very last verse in Matthew 16, where Jesus talked about some of you standing here will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And the next verse, which is chapter 17 of Matthew, verse 1, it begins with the account of the transfiguration. And what you have, it's not generally put together. Yes, there's this final manifestation of the kingdom of God at the second coming of Jesus. You might, might call that the parousia, which means coming of Jesus. But the transfiguration wasn't just some uh, symbol or reenactment. It was a real event with real things happening. Perhaps the best commentary on 2 Peter is one done by Richard Bachman. Uh, don't run out and buy it unless you're pretty clever in Greek. He goes through every phrase of the Greek in quite a bit of detail. I even have one commentary written by a very skilled New Testament scholar, <laughs> even said mine's, my commentary is nothing next to, in so many words, next to Richard Bachman's. Okay, he's a key commentator on Second Peter, and he said this, the transfiguration is not just an announcement, rather it's a royal appointment, a royal decree causing something to occur. Remember in the transfiguration, this is in like Matthew 17, it's the voice of God the Father and St. Peter, this is his last will and testament, so to speak, this epistle, Second Peter, and he wants us to know about this and records those words. Now today I wanna zero in on the five life-changing words spoken from heaven that Peter records for us. And those five words are, this is my beloved son. 
Now, the rest of what God spoke, uh, with whom I am well pleased, just so you know, that phrase is an allusion to Isaiah 42, the suffering servant. That's not what we're going to cover today, because the five words, this is my beloved son, it's widely agreed that these words are an allusion to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7. Psalm 2 is a very important chapter of the Bible. And let me read to you, start with, three verses from Psalm 2. I'm going to read to you the verse before and the verse after, as well as verse 7. Psalm 2, 6. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And Richard Bachman, I think, is really on to something when he says that transformation isn't just God saying something at an important event. No, it's a, it's a proclamation. It's kind of like the royal... Uh, messenger comes out with an announcement, the king's son is declared king of what? Of churches? Of your heart? Those things absolutely true that it speaks here that he's king over everything, and specifically, he mentions the nations, king of the nations. Now, before you get to this in Psalm 2. I started in verse 6. Now I'm going to back up to the beginning of the psalm, and it puts it in context, and boy, does it bring us up to date. Psalm 2 begins, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying. Now, so often, I remember I went ballistic, to tell you the truth. I used to receive this journal for Catholic priests and deacons uh, and also interested laity, but in the middle of the journal, it had homiletic uh, suggestions, and for the Feast of Christ the King, it was entitled Jesus King of Hearts. Now, absolutely, Jesus is king of hearts, but that's not what the feast of Christ the king is about. The context here is a royal decree proclaiming God's son to be king of the world, specifically the nations of the world. And then, just so you know, I'm not getting off track here. It's not talking about cardiologists. It's not talking about your pious individual feelings. It's talking about rulers and kings of the earth rebelling against this kingship. We find in verse 3, the kings and the rulers saying, let us burst our bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. Liberty, freedom, and it's basically the rulers and their nations want to cast themselves off from being bound, so to speak, from the rulership of God's Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
Now, here's the reaction in heaven. It says, he who sits in the heaven laughs. <laughs> it's like, you know, ants saying, hey, we're going to throw off the yoke of God in this world. We, You know, he's fine as long as you keep him in your heart and maybe in the four walls of your churches, but certainly don't let him out in society. And when he hears this plot, it's like God looking down from heaven like these little ants conspiring against a, a giant. No, it's not going to happen. And then it says, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, and he will break them, verse 9, with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessels. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. You know, all of us should have in mind Psalm 2, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. The kingdom is here, the Son has proclaimed king of the world at his first coming. The kingdom is present. That's what Jesus preached about. The apostles went about preaching the kingdom of God, and then the people said, those who have turned the world upside down have come here. Why? They were preaching the gospel. What's the gospel about? The royal king who has come in the person of Jesus. In case you're wondering how Isaiah 42 and the suffering servant, the last half of that heavenly voice fits into this, he ascends to his throne through the cross and the resurrection, a little unexpected. But Psalm 2 says, He's going to break them with a rod of iron. He goes, then kings be warned. Now, it's very interesting. I've been advocating as strongly as I possibly can because this is one of the most basic facts of the world. And yet, see, we live in a culture who has cast his bonds asunder. Well, you know, look at the French Revolution. The whole thing was liberty. And what did they do? gave us a statue up in New York, the statue of what? Liberty, but it was a modern version of liberty. It's something conceived apart from the Messiah. As you go to the final parousia, the second coming of Jesus, you read in 19.5, it says, from his mouth issues a sharp two-edged sword with which to smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. It's just reverberating Psalm 2. He will tread the winepress of his fury on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we have a choice. We can wise up, as a people, as a nation and nations of the world and recognize the kingship of Jesus, we're warned and we can ignore that. And it's very clear what happens if we don't. We're going to be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. No, I have no joy in what I'm about to say, but the U.S., along with most of the nations of the world, are in full-scale revolt against the reign of Jesus over nations. I'm not talking about the people's uh, for instance, in the United States, there's millions of very good people. But as a nation, uh, our Constitution doesn't say anything about the kingdom of God, about the rulership or kingship of Jesus Christ. Our authority 
comes from the people, from below, from the demos, rather than from above, from the king. And as a result, uh, we're seeing the working out when you have authority from below rather than above. The encyclical, Quas Primus, in 1925, says so much, which says, without God and Jesus Christ, uh, excluded from political life, with authority derived not from God but from man, the result is that human society is tottering to its fall. Did you know that right after Civil War, a lot of Christians in this country or a group of leaders, uh, Christian leaders in this country, were concerned with what had happened in the Civil War, what had happened in our nation, and thinking to themselves, what's wrong? And they proposed a modified preamble to the Constitution of the United States that reads as such. We, the people of the United States, humbly acknowledging Almighty God as a source of all authority and power in civil government, and the Lord Jesus Christ as the ruler among nations, his revealed will as the supreme law of the land in order to constitute a Christian government and in order to form a more perfect union. Now, these weren't nut jobs. These men proposed this amendment, this modified amendment to the preamble to the Constitution to President Abraham Lincoln, and he said, quote, the general aspect of your movement I cordially approve, unquote. But this amendment was never passed. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 295 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com. Thank you.